We are so excited to announce that we're going to be running a new motherhood support group. Starting September 8th, Sina and I will be leading a 10-part group to help reduce stress and cope with the challenges of new motherhood. This workshop offers new moms with babies from zero to one weekly group sessions that cover issues such as body image, the impact of motherhood on relationships and identity, mindful parenting, and self-care. The new motherhood support group will provide a space for connection, safety, and empowerment as we embark on the journey of parenting together. You will leave this workshop with a better understanding of motherhood and friendships with other new moms. The workshop will start September 8th and be on Thursdays from 12 to 1.30 p.m. You can register on Eventbrite, link to our website and Instagram at lovelink.co, or email us at info at lovelink.co if you want to learn more. Hope to see you there. What happens with a monogamous relationship, it comes with a set of pre-installed default settings. So you kind of let those default settings do the work for you. If you want to open up your relationship, those default settings no longer serve. They're not there. So you have to do the work. There's no way out of it if, if you want it to work and succeed and, and nurture you and thrive. Welcome to Lovelink, your guide to love and sex in all forms. We're your hosts, Simone Humphrey and Sina Simon. Today we welcome relationship coach and non-monogamy expert Effie Blue. After a personal history of failed monogamy and serial infidelity, Effie discovered satisfaction and happiness through polyamory. From her own experiences, along with extensive research, she has built up a wealth of knowledge and the tools to cultivate successful, unconventional relationships. Now, she has a full-time practice in New York City that includes coaching and workshops to help couples and individuals who are interested in transitioning to ethical non-monogamy. So welcome to the Leveling Podcast, Effie Blue. So nice to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks yeah. for coming. So tell us how you became interested in, in non-monogamy. Uh, for sure. I got interested in non-monogamy through my own personal journey. Uh, I sucked at relationships for a long time. Uh, I have a history of serial infidelity. Um, so I was in multiple relationships in which I cheated. Uh, I'm not proud of it, uh, but I did cheat. Uh, and the interesting part of it was that it wasn't that I would cheat and hide and I was happy about it. Um, I would cheat when um, I was the happiest. So I wouldn't cheat when I was unhappy and I didn't want the relationship anymore. I would go and cheat somewhere else. I would actually start to explore the idea of dating other people when I was the happiest. Like I would feel settled into a relationship, um, feel really connected, um, making future plans. And in that kind of a peak stage, I would be like, oh, I want to explore. You know, I'm interested in this one person. And it was never that I didn't want the person that I was with. I just wanted other explorations, other experiences as well. Um, and then I would go and follow my desires and uh, and eventually come back and confess. It just didn't sit right with me. I didn't want to lie. I didn't like the, the, the um, I didn't like being out of integrity. It didn't sit well with me. I felt like I wasn't fa it wasn't fair on my partners because I did love them. Like it wasn't like I was dismissive of them. I didn't like them and I was just hold keeping them around. I was very much in love and cared for the relationships. So I would come home and confess uh, and it would never ended well. Tears all around. 
Um, eventually these relationships would end. I would say, I'm never going to do that again, but it would rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And at some point I was like, this is not working out. I don't want to hurt anybody anymore. I concluded that I sucked at relationships. Um, and then I put everything on hold and put myself into another career, my previous career in the corporate world. I did that for a decade. Um, I did really well. Um, I climbed, I rushed up that, that ladder. I didn't have to worry about relationships. I worked around the world. Um, and which worked really well for my bank account, but not so great for my heart. Um, and eventually my work brought me to New York and universe aligned um, and a bunch of things happened at the same time. I stumbled into the non-monogamous community in New York City while my career was no longer satisfying to me and I was looking at like what else I could be interested in. and. I met the non-monogamous community. I sort of just stumbled into into it and immediately a light bulb went off. I was like, oh, okay. So it wasn't me. I don't suck at relationships. I just suck at a specific type of relationship. And here's a bunch of people doing relationships differently. And this is appealing to me. And it looks a lot like what I was trying to make happen, but just not well. Mm, so, say again? I said eclect. Exactly. I was just like, oh, here's, okay, <laughs> this is it. This is it. I want to learn about this. And then I'm naturally nerdy. I like to study things. I like um, rabbit holes. And I fell in a big, long rabbit hole of, okay, I want to understand this. Um, and I, I did this in multiple ways. I did the, the reading, the studying, the, the, like, the very nerdy stuff. Um, I also was interested in people's experience experiences so um i just had a million conversations with a million people anybody who would talk to me i had a million questions and people were very nice and answered my questions and the third thing was i wanted to know what it felt like to actually do it in a way that was not cheating um and there there were things that i was interested in i knew that i could be in a relationship with somebody and date other people i knew that i w could love more than one person and show up for more than more than one relationship what I didn't know is what would it be like to be the other person, right? Could I date somebody who's dating somebody else, right? What would that feel like? So I kind of went into relationships and a little bit experimental. Um, what would it be like to date somebody who's already in a potentially a primary relationship? What would it be like dating somebody who's um, who identifies as um, solo poly? So they're dating multiple people, so I'm not the only one. So I went and like did a lot of experimental dating and experimental relationships. And what did you notice as you were starting this process um, in yourself? For sure, that it made sense, that it made a lot of sense. Uh, all the things that I just had a bunch of question marks about were suddenly cleared. And I realized that, I, that you know, you hear, when people talk about polyamory, right? Poly, many loves, many loves, right? So people talk about this capacity for love and that they give examples for example they say things like you know parents who have two two kids are able to love those two kids differently but the same the same right um so we know that the human the human is capable of loving more than one people at a time um we just for some reason put a limit on it when it's a romantic relationship right and i it was became very obvious to me early on that it applies in romantic relationships also um, and that was one of the things I was like, oh, I can't really just love more than one person. And I can feel loved by people who also love other people, right? Because sometimes that's where people get stuck, right? They feel like, oh, maybe they can love more than one people. They don't feel loved because they don't feel special if there's more than one person, right? So, so how did you grapple with that? 
just made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting because I'm also an only child. So that's kind of an interesting to me because I don't have a sibling, mm. right? So the example works in theory, but I don't have personal experience. Um, and I, I thought that would have been uh, a barrier, right? Because I don't, you know, I didn't have to share attention. In fact, I had double the attention, right? Um, but it actually just made a lot of sense. And I felt seeing my partner love somebody else and then love me just made me realize there was just literally more love, you know, around. Uh, and it didn't, um, I think jealousy comes up. For me, I'm not naturally very jealous. Um, I, you know, just dispositionally, I'm not very jealous. Um, situationally, it just comes up in, in, in when I don't feel my needs are being met, right? But it, I was very clear that it was nothing to do with love. Like, it was just like something is wrong in the moment. I don't, I don't necessarily feel not loved. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was just breaking those things up and, and going into it very consciously, very sort of like, I want to learn from these experiences. Um, there was a lot to learn, yeah. And it seems like you learned so much and really took that and now are translating it into working yeah. with couples who are interested in opening up their relationship. For sure, yeah. I mean, there's so much to learn. And, and what I was doing in that, as I was doing my research, I was re- realizing there weren't that many resources out there there's some great there are a handful of great books um and there are some therapists who will may not pathologize it but they still don't know much about it um a lot of the relationship material out there is for a couple for a dyad for two people even relationship even communication exercises are always for two people you know so there isn't that much out there and by the time i accumulated all that stuff for myself I was also passing it on to people who were asking, now asking me questions. And at some point I decided uh, what I was doing my previous career wasn't working for me and I wanted to change anyway. So I took a two year hiatus, um, a sabbatical I should say, and retrained um, as much as I could, did all the workshops, all the books, anything that I can get my hands on, and then launched a, a coaching practice and started working with couples who are interested in exploring this for themselves. Great. So tell us, about non-monogamy. How would you define non-monogamy and also open relationships versus polyamory? Sure. And maybe some other things in between. Yes, yes. Think about it as sort of two headlines, like two umbrella terms. You have monogamy, uh, essentially two people in in a relationship where the key value is fidelity. They don't have sex with anybody else and therefore they're monogamous. And then there's non-monogamy where you're in a relationship that is not exclusive. And that's a big umbrella, umbrella term, and then it looks different in different situations. So um, polyamory is one version of non-monogamy. Poly, many, amory loves, many loves. When you're in long-term loving multiple relationships at the same time, and you're sort of nurturing these relationships. And then you can be in an open relationship. So you can, <clears throat> you can start off as a couple and open that relationship and start dating other people. And that doesn't always look like polyamory. It doesn't always look like these connected, intertwined, long-term relationships. It could just be short-term dating. It could be very um, physical or or sex-based. And then you can do um, something Dan Savage coined, which is monogamish, right? Which Mm -hmm. is you're monogamous most of the time, and every now and then you'll go and have a fling, Mm. um, either separately or together. Um, There's also people who do it um, who are swingers, Right. So there are couples who are, you know, mostly um, sort of monogamous um, other than having sex with other couples who are also um, swinging. 
and that's that can be that can be a little transactional but essentially you're just as a couple you're dating other couples or also dating couples um and there's no um sort of dating on your own that happens and then many other you know versions of that whatever that works for you um in my practice i coach around this idea of relationship by design um i work with people in designing relationships in which they can thrive uh and thriving looks different for different people right for some people thriving looks like um nesting right they're the people that are um design you know they're um, have these like warm cozy homes and dinner parties and the place where everybody goes for thanksgiving and that's what thriving looks like for them um for other people thriving looks like adventure and exploration and those are the people that are running around the world and jumping out of planes right for other people thriving looks like personal development and growth and they're the people that are doing the workshops and co-reading books together and doing retreats and that kind of stuff and that's what thriving looks like for them so we look at what thriving looks like for the people in the relationship and then we design something around that open close monogamy non monogamy is just one aspect of that um and it's the one that rises to the surface because that often is the instigator of like we need a redesign right so people don't have the language to say we need a redesign they'll say we want an open relationship Uh, which is great it just means that you need something that you don't have right the relationship you have isn't serving you right now and you want it to be open because you think it's going to serve something uh, which is a great start right um the question often is why what 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 do you want to create what are you trying to create by having an open relationship um and then we talk about that um and then that informs the rest of the design um and sometimes though rarely people will come to me and they'll say we want an open relationship Okay, okay, sure. Um we'll we we'll go through the process relationship by design and we'll come out the other side and they will decide to remain monogamous, but the relationship looks very different now. Yeah. Oh. So when you ask the question why have an open relationship uh, or why do you want an open relationship? What are some good reasons to have an open relationship and what are some reasons that or a polyamorous relationship mm-hmm. and what are some reasons that might not be so great? Sure. Um the reasons that are not good let me start with that one. Yeah. Um if your relationship is failing um it's not going to save your relationship. Um if you are um in a sexless relationship and you're not addressing that and you're just looking to looking to go out to have sex with other people without addressing that those issues. If you have any unaddressed issues and if you think that open relationships non-monogamy polyamory is going to save your relationship it's not. Um so essentially a couple should really be in a stable place. Yes, absolutely. If your house isn't in order, um you don't want to include other people and it doesn't that. feel safe. It doesn't feel safe for you or other people. You know, it's just going to exacerbate whatever is going on. It's going to add more moving parts. It's going to add more ambiguity. It's going to add more space that you probably don't want. Um not healthy space. So you're going to end up having unhealthy space. Um and it's just going to erode away at whatever isn't already working. But I imagine there's probably many couples that come because they're dissatisfied with something mm-hmm. and that's why they want to open it up. Mm-hmm. So it, how do you determine when there is just dissatisfaction that mm-hmm. will be helped in opening mm-hmm. versus they really need to work on this issue before they open it up? For sure. Dissatisfaction is a given part of any relationship, right? No one's perfect. No relationship is perfect. Dissatisfaction is a part of a relationship. 
the big difference is if you're addressing it or avoiding it, right? If you've had the conversations or you're willing to have the conversations to identify what isn't working, where the dissatisfactions are, and then trying to design around it consciously is very different than I'm dissatisfied, I don't want to talk about it, I'm just going to go out and do this other thing. Right. Does that, does that yeah, make sense? Yeah. Sense. And what if one person wants to open up the relationship, but the other person doesn't? Mm-hmm. Um, it happens. Uh, absolutely happens. Um, it depends if people are willing to compromise. Um, I find that the sort of the relationship by design process addresses that because we look at the why often, right? Um, and I think if people understand the individual reasons for one people to open up, and it doesn't feel personal, right? It's not like, I don't want you, I want somebody else, but there is this there is this need that I have and I wanna address that. I still love you, I still care for this relationship. If we really address it, people often can wrap their, wrap their heads around the other person wanting to be open if they don't want to be open. It just becomes a problem if the person who doesn't wanna be open or, or, poly, or try polyamory, um, if they feel like they're not wanted or they're gonna get feel left out, left behind. If we address those things, often people can wrap their heads around it. Sometimes they can't, you know, and, and compatibility is a thing. You might just not be compatible. And that is, you know, it sucks, but that might be the, that might be a thing. Yeah. And then do you help couples kind of work through ending if that's not the right decision or if it's not the right fit? Yes. Yes. Sometimes you can, uh, I, I, I try not to make presumptions or assumptions. Um, you can often tell um, what, 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 how it's going to end up. Sometimes do, people do come to me and they say, I want to open up. And what they mean is I want to break up. Yeah. And they don't want to have yeah. those conversations. And this is their like phasing out, yeah. you know. Um, and it, again, that's not why you should, um, you know, open up your relationship or seek advice in that way. I think if you want to break up, uh, you should handle that. Um, you want to, you know, seek professional help to break up. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think to say you want to open up a relationship because you don't want to say I don't want I don't I want to break up I don't think that's a good way to go about that. It's definitely yeah. not the right reason. Right. What about if somebody um, is in a monogamous relationship and they want to begin the conversation with their partner? Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for doing that? For sure, I think this is a great question, and it's something that I um, can't talk about enough because I see often that first approach determines how the rest of the conversations are going to go. Mm-hmm. So if you're getting that right, actually is like very foundational. That first conversation informs pretty much every other conversation that you're going to have about this, right? Um, and there are definitely some clear do's and don'ts, don'ts that I like telling people about. Um, let's some do's. Um, talk about it big picture first. Um, approaching your partner cold and saying, I'm considering opening up our relationship or let's open up our relationship or to talk about open relationships or non-monogamy specifically about your relationship cold is not a good idea. Um, Definitely talk about it as a more big picture stuff. Um, you can refer to an article, you can refer to a, a podcast, you can refer to this podcast, <laughs> um, you can refer to um, books. At the moment, there's so much conversation around polyamory out there. Um, you're not short for material. Find something. You should be doing your research anyway. That's another, that's the next do that I want to share. Do your research. Understand what it means to be in an open relationship. 
and then refer to those things. I read this article about non-monogamy. I'd love to talk to you about it. Oh, have you heard this podcast? Let's listen to this podcast together and talk about how we feel about it, right? Do your research, come to it with ideas of this structure rather than applying it straight to the relationship. Um, the, the next thing is um, when you approach your partner about it, also know um, what you want to create. Also, don't be shy about um, addressing your concerns about it, right? Don't do a hard sell. Do your research and say, I'm thinking about it. I can see how this would really work for me in these ways. And then there are some things that I think, oh, that would be really hard for me. If you think that it's going to be all rosy and you have no concerns, that means you haven't done your homework and you haven't really thought about it. Um, so when you're talking about it, don't do a hard sell. Um, talk about it as equally as possible and solicit feelings and thoughts rather than sort of demands and requests. Um, and there's some practical tips. Um, don't talk about it late at night. Don't bring it, um, I always tell people, don't bring it up on a weekday past 8 p.m. Because uh, these conversations, you're often tired and they're never going to be short. And what you don't want to do is start a conversation at that time um, and then go into talking about it until 2 p.m. where people are having like very emotional um, reactions to it. Um, do it at the weekends. Do it early in the evening. Um, talk big picture stuff. Don't try to solve it in the first conversation. You're never going to solve it in one conversation. This is going to be a beginning of multiple conversations about what it can look like, how people feel about it, if it's something that you want to do at all. Um, so keep, them, keep the conversations short. Um, realize you can always have another one. Uh, don't put pressure on them. Have a clear end time. Like If you're still talking about it, going round and round in circles in two hours, just stop. Press pause. You can always pick it up another time. Um, so those are like my pro tips on how to do it. Yeah, get your feet wet before diving into the deep end. For sure, yeah. <laughs> and like it, make it an invitation rather than a request or a demand. Let's learn about this more. Let's go to an event. Let's take a workshop. Let's read some books together. Let's explore this and see if it would work for us. Yeah. You know, rather than I want this from this relationship now. That's, that's never going to work. Why do why does a couple what would be an interest of entering a polyamorous relationship for a mm -hmm. couple? Sure. For some people, they feel like polyamory is an orientation. You know, for some people, they feel like they just don't know any other way. They are only happy when they have multiple relationships happening, or at least the, the being open to multiple relationships. So people, some people feel it's an orientation thing. Um, for other people, they find that. Um, they show up differently in relationships in a way that nurtures them. Um, some people do it because uh, of their, their sexual orientation. Um, they might be bi um, or pan and they want to have these both of those um, experiences. Um, sometimes people fall in love more than one people and they want to hold on to it and they want to have this like micro community of um, people as a, as a relationship. So there are multiple reasons. Mm. The thing that people don't talk about is how, right? Um, we are easy to say communication is important, but very few people talk about like what that looks like, what that sounds like, 
right? Um, I think it's important to get some communication skills under your belt. Um, Nonviolent communication is a, a, is a great skill to have. You can just you can look it up. It's a great way to start conversations and have conversations. Um, there are also specific ways of um, the communication around negotiation, for example, like how do you negotiate things? Um, problem um, conflict resolution is something that's really important skill to have. Um, again, that's that's conflict resolution through communication, but it's like getting those skills down. So read some books, go to some workshops, practice. Um, and what tends to happen in polyamorous relationships is that you have to do the talking for it to function, so you get to practice it, these skills, right? Because what happens with a monogamous relationship, it comes with a set of pre-installed default settings, right? So you kind of let those default settings do the work for you. And people sort of bumble along, they make some assumptions, they use monogamy as like pre-existing structure, and they don't necessarily always do the work around communication or get those skills. If you want to open up your relationship, those default settings no longer serve. They're not there. So you have to do the work. There's no way out of it. If you want it, if you want it to work and, and succeed and, and nurture you and thrive, all those things. Um, so you need to get your communication right, practice it, uh, and then practice it with multiple people. Um, one of the things that I love about polyamory is um, the feedback you get. Because if you're in a monogamous relationship and your partner's giving you feedback, you can end up in a, you know, your word against their word. So, for example, if your partner's saying to you, oh, you know, you can be critical, you can, you can be like, no, I'm not, right? There's no, th that's it. Like, they think, they perceive you as critical, you think you're not critical, that's kind of the end of the conversation or ongoing arguments, right? If you're in a polyamorous relationship and your, you know, two other partners are going... You know, you can be critical sometimes. <laughs> and you're like, oh. I guess I am critical. <laughs> yeah, you're like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a group of Right, right, exactly. You're like, okay, it's I guess uh, I'm a, I, you know, I show up critical sometimes. Let me think about that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and something about polyamorous relationships, I think, nurtures these conversations. People tend to talk about these things more. Do you have any communication pro tips? Like just some... Ones quick that you, and dirty. Quick and dirty communication sure. tip. Uh, I'll throw it. in some tactical stuff that I think is great for any relationship. Um, some um, things that I definitely share with my clients. If you're in a relationship, if you're in a conversation and people are starting to st are starting their sentences with but, that that conversation is officially derailed. Um, stop. I, I tell people stop immediately. Um, to even like just take a five minute pause if you find yourself someone saying something and the other person's like but and they carry on and the other person goes but and carry on that conversation is not working uh it's wait you're wasting time and words in that moment if you catch yourself in that place just stop take pause um and start again that's just a tactical tip for any communication um the other thing that i really recommend people is what i've heard you say is is a great um way to start a conversation again if you're finding yourself uh, not communicating with one another um just to stop to repeat what you've heard is really helpful because communication is tough what you think is happening in your head and how it's being perceived it crosses a chasm and there's often um breakdown in that communication so if you can just start your sentences with what i've just heard is what i've heard you say is and repeat back um you'll often realize there's been a communication um breakdown 
Um, and that works just in, again in any relationship. The other thing that I use a lot in my own relationships and also in um, that I teach in my practice is we talk a lot about, um, we say, I have a story in my head that. And what you're then doing is you're acknowledging that you have an assumption or you're operating from a certain belief. Um, and what you're not saying is you're doing this or like you're angry with me right now. Right. It's less accusatory. Right. You're leaving space so the other person can be like, oh, okay, that's interesting. The other person can be, there's space for the other person to be curious, not immediately defensive. Right. So if you, again, I tell people, if you're about to say you are being a certain way or you, you are doing something, see if you can rephrase it and say, I have a story in my head that this is what's happening, or you're angry with me, or you're being dismissive with me. Because then you're owning that it is your belief system, and you're leaving space for the other person to meet you in that place, rather than having this uh, like th this defense come up, this um, reaction of defensiveness that comes up, which is just very human. You know, if you accuse, you become defensive. That's very human. Um, so how can we leave space for this conversation to, 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 um, to be addressed, rather than like defenses going up? In terms of polyamorous relationships, making room for conversation is important, especially if you have multiple relationships. Um, you might not always have the space to have conversations. If you only see somebody, you know, twice a week and you want to use that time for fun and games or catching up or, or whatever you're doing or date nights, you might find that you don't have space allocated for conversations, for, for communication of whatever is going on. So scheduling um, check-ins is a very poly, um, good, good poly practice. So once a month, what the time that you're gonna spend, instead of being a fun date night, you kind of say, okay, tonight we're gonna get, you know, we're gonna sit down, get comfy in our pajamas or whatever that works for you. Some people it's actually sitting around the table like this with pen and paper. For some people it's like pajamas and cozy on a couch um, and do a very intentional check-in. Um, again, that actually works for monogamous relationships, but if you're in multiple relationships, it's really important that you schedule that time because most of the time what you're doing is scheduling date nights and fun things and things accumulate because you don't want to have serious conversations when you want to have fun with somebody that you may only see once or twice a week, right? So very intentional check-ins are also really important. These are such good practical tips. Mm. Yeah, and like you were saying, also for monogamous couples sure. as well. Yeah, yeah, totally applicable. To be honest, there isn't, there really isn't anything that I advise for people for for non-monogamy or polyamory that does not enhance a monogamous relationship. Um, yeah. You don't have to have multiple relationships to have good communication, to have regular check-ins, um, to design your relationship. You know, we can learn a lot as a monogamous yeah. Yeah, couple yeah. from polyamorous. So one of the assumptions that I think I had about polyamory was that it was all of these parallel relationships mm -hmm. going on at the same time, very separate from mm -hmm. one another. And the sense that I got from you in our conversation earlier is that oftentimes it's really very communal, that there's mm -hmm. a kind of integration between a lot of these partners. Mm -hmm. So I'm also curious about the kind of communication that you have, not just with the romantic partner, mm -hmm. but with the other people involved, with the secondary partners or the partners of your partner. Sure, yeah. So it's interesting. Polyamory looks different in different situations. And yes, sometimes it can look like parallel tracks and sometimes it can be interconnected. Um, in fact, the, the sort of 
what I how the term that I use for my relationship is kitchen table poly, right? So the idea is that my partners can all my partners and their partners can you know sit around the table, break bread, and connect and spend spend time together. That's not for everyone. Um, that's not how every polyamorous relationships work. But there are definitely those that are like that. Um, and in those situations, there are definitely some very interesting relationships beyond the romantic ones. So your relationship with your partner's partner, um, the term for that is your metamor. Um, people shorten it to my metas. Um, so I think for me personally, that's one of the most fascinating relationships out there. Your relationship with your partner's partner, especially as a woman who mostly dates men who date women. Um, what I'm fine with, what I, the relationship is two women loving a man and that relationship is fascinating because all the archetypes that we have out there tells us that we should be in competition, that we should be threatened by one another, that, that it shouldn't exist in the first place, right? It's wrong, like it should not happen. Even those situations where it's like, you know, there's so many jokes about wives and mother-in-laws, right? All these archetypes. Um, when they do work, when personally I am, you know, my metamors are, you know, some of my best friends. And I think that relationship, if you can nurture it, if it feels right for you, if you have space for that, not everybody has space for that, right? Because it takes emotional energy, mental energy, time, effort, showing up for yet another relationship, right? Um, it's not available for everyone, but if it is available for you, um, they're interesting. They're super interesting relationships. Yeah. What have you learned from your metamor relationship? Yeah. Um, I am, I continue to be fascinated by them. Um, I, for various reasons of my own background, you know, I, I went to an all girls boarding school for six years. Um, so I went sort of, I, I, I had a difficult relationship with women. I, I really struggled to be friends with women for a long time. In my corporate job as well, I, um, I was very career minded. I advanced really quickly and quite quickly, the number of women in the room dwindled so as I was getting higher up in the ranks, you know, so I was spending a lot of time, a lot more time with men. Um, I didn't spend time nurturing friendships with, with women. So I found myself kind of not doing well in, in just friendships with women. Um, surprisingly, I found healing around this topic with my metamors. My first metamor, my first polyamorous boyfriend's girlfriend um, was incredible to me. She was kind and loving and inclusive and nurturing, um, really set a high bar for me of what that relationship can be like. Um, and it was healing. I became very close with her. Um, she became a very safe person for me. I was fascinated that this was happening. Like this was the relationship that was going to heal my, you know, wounds around relationships with women. I was like, wow, this is really happening here. Um, and she set a precedence and a model for me that I could do that too. Um, and I, I learned a lot about myself. Um, and the one, my biggest takeaway is that. Um, you don't know what you get out of these relationships. And just if you have it in you to make room for them, just be curious. You don't have to commit, um, but just be curious of what you might be able to get out of that relationship, um, how you show up in those relationships as well. You'll, there's a lot to learn in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
What about in polyamorous relationships where there are children? Because mm-hmm. um, you mentioned also earlier that you have some friends mm-hmm. in polyamorous families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what what has in your experience what what happens in those relationships and in those families? Sure. I mean, also for the kid, you know, for the yeah, kids. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so caveat: I don't have any kids. Um, so this is mostly theoretical and anecd- anecdotal, um, <clears throat> but. The reporting that's done on this, there's really one person that has been tracking this and doing research on this. It's a uh, Dr. Eli Sheff has um, been doing a longitudinal study for about 20 years on polyamorous families. Um, her, bo- her book, Polyamorous Next Door, is the, the only kind of book on this out there. And her findings are that kids are thriving. Uh, they, they get it. Uh, as long as you're providing them a stable home um, where they know who everybody is and they understand their parents and their parents aren't going anywhere. These auxiliary relationships, the other relationships that are coming in, that they're introduced in a way that makes sense to them and they're not sort of flying in and out uh, and they're sort of coming in slowly, you know, integrating and and they're informed along the way. They're fine, they're thriving. Um, they're, they do really well. And they understand and wrap, the, wrap their head, heads around it really quickly. I think they also not exposed to the stigmas and expectations of what relationships should be, right? They have multiple best friends, so they get it, you know, especially the young ones that understand the sexual side of things, and they know that you can have more than one friend, and you can be close to more than one people. They know that they're close to mommy and daddy, so it makes sense that mommy and daddy are close to other people, you know? So it sounds like this study found that sharing the polyamory structure is really important to Mm -hmm. share with the children right to kind of have that be part of the conversation to Mm -hmm. let them in yes for sure absolutely yeah Uh, and personally my sort of anecdotal experience i have a um uh, i host this event called curious fox social where we have um panel discussions on topics around relationships uh it's for a community that challenges the status quo in love sex and relationships every month i put a panel together and we discuss various topics and I did two panels on uh, polyamory and kids and in both of those panels I had a kid on the panel. Uh, One was 13, the other one was 15 and they blew everybody away. They were incredibly well adjusted, incredibly articulate, very emotionally intelligent, um, very clear with their boundaries um, and knew everything about what was going on and they were also very clear that they didn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't thinking about it all the time. They understood that who their parents were. They understood that these people were part of their bigger family. Um, and, and as long as things were stable, they were happy. And this was demonstrated. You know, we're not just like reading a book. These kids were sitting, looking at a room, 40, 50 people, of 40, 50 adults, like staring at this, you know, these kids, just, just watching them. They handled themselves sometimes better than the adults that I've had on the panel. With you courageous know. children. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so well communi- Like, so much talking has to happen for polyamory, right? Kids pick up on it. They were so articulate. They were so articulate, not only just knowing their words, but knowing how they feel. Like, they, they knew their feeling words, you know? Um, and they, they knew the difference between I think and I feel. Um, and they could say you know, when this, this, and this happens, I feel this way. And they weren't saying, you know, I even noticed they wouldn't say things like, you know, and, you know, and mom made me feel this way. You know, they were owning their feelings. They knew feeling words, 
they knew their feeling words. Um, it was incredible, you know, it was inspiring. How did they describe their relationships to their parents' partners? Um, it sounded like, um, I'm trying to think slightly differently. Uh, the, the two kids that I had would, had differently. One was like um, almost like an uncle relationship, and the other one was like an almost like an older brother relationship. Um, that's what they were kind of describing it. Um, but very, they clearly had their own relationship with these people. Um, and I think one of them, the first one, was talking about how that person is no longer in a relationship with mom but they were still spending time together. They would still play basketball. I think that was the thing they still were still doing. Um, and I think that is also important when you're doing, when if you're in a polyamorous structure and you're bringing people into the relationship, you have to be prepared that sometimes if they get close to the kids and you split up, the kids might not want to split up. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think that's something that you might want to think about as well. Um, so, it's worth thinking about. It's not, you know, these things aren't for everyone. And I say this, I, I am a big um, supporter of monogamy. Like if it's working for you, it's great. Just for some people, it doesn't work for them. And the same with non-monogamy or polyamory. It's not for everyone. It's not the right answer for everyone. Polyamorous families with kids are not the answer for, it's not the answer for everyone. It needs to work for you. And if it does work for you and people are thriving, go ahead and do it. Um, but don't force it, you know. As you're talking about how kids are thriving in polyamorous relationships, I'm thinking about how our culture has had a stigma against gay people having mm -hmm. kids and been very worried about like, mm -hmm. what are the outcomes gonna be? And the reality is that those kids are fine and those sure. kids are thriving. Yeah. And it seems like something similar But it's so goes much more here. about the quality of the relationship, yeah. not the actual structure, yeah. the sexuality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Stability of home, I guess all they care about. Stable home. Right. They wanna know that the home is gonna be there when they, when they come home. Um, and it's gonna be stable, mom and dad are gonna be there. That's all they care about. What it looks like really doesn't, doesn't really affect them. We invite you to spend the next few moments to just listen. Brought to you by Non, spelled N-O-N, the sound meditation app for iPhone, where no two sessions are alike. So can you tell us a little bit about the um, poly community in New York City? Mm. There's a thriving one. <laughs> um, there is a, a, a thriving community in New York City. Um, this is one of the biggest meetup um, happens second Wednesday, uh, I'm sorry, second Monday of every month um, at the Delancey on, this, on the upper floor. Um, it's run by uh, an organization called Open Love NY. 
And that's just the big one. There's hundreds of people that show up, but there are also many, many meetups that happen, um, events, socials, parties. Um, Google is your friend. Facebook is your friend. Meetup.com is your friend. Um, you can find them. Also, there are certain dating apps that will allow you to pick non-monogamy. Um, so if you're sort of online dating and looking for a community, you can look for the community through that as well. I know OkCupid does it. Um, they actually switch really quickly. They they were like, oh, okay, you want to do non-monogamous dating? We'll just put it in our search terms. Um, so <clears throat> there's a thriving community. You can take the online route. Um, I do encourage people to show up for the events um, because you don't necessarily only want to date either. If you want to open up your relationship, if you want to be polyamorous, community helps. Other people who are doing it helps because the noise around this is monogamy. The resources are for monogamy. Most of your friends, if they are monogamous, are going to give you advice one way, right? You need to change the noise around you. You, you need, need to, a model. You need mo yeah, models, right? Yeah. You need models, you need resources. You need a community of people who are doing it in their own way. You need language. Um, you need support. Um, I think people often make the mistake of they decide to be an open relationship. They want to sort of seek out polyamory and they just go out to date. You know, that's the first thing they do. They just want to find a partner. My recommendation is find a community first and see what it's like. And then from there, you can date within the community or with a community around you. You can date outside the community. But as a part of the opening up process, before you start dating, find the community, find a community um, and make friends. From there, start dating would be my advice. That makes so much sense. You know, I don't know exactly what the stats are, but I have this sense that polyamory, open relationships, non-monogamy just seems to be increasingly more popular. Mm -hmm. That we hear about it more in mainstream media, that mm -hmm. these communities seem to be building. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of sense do you have about why this is happening now mm -hmm. and why this is becoming more, more people are drawn to this? Mm -hmm. I think they're just becoming more visible. I think they've been around for a very, very, very long time. Um, I don't think this is a new phenomenon. I think people, polyamorous people around, being around for a long time. I think it's becoming more visible because it's, I feel like it's the next wave, right? With um, legalized gay marriage, um, that's kind of like, okay, so relationships don't have to come in one size. And then I think the next step is like, what else? Um, I also think that it is in line with the feminist movement. Um, I think that as women don't need to look for a man to have a status, safety, um, security in the world, then the dyad is not the defining structure, right? Um, I think that's a massive, that has a massive impact. As women are earning more, more independent, owning their sexuality, um, when as all those things are happening, they're sort of looking at their relationships more pragmatically. Right, they don't necessarily need to be a, in a couple to get the things they want, right? So I think that has an effect on it, and I think we now also in modern love we look at, look for relationships, we look more, we look for more from relationships, and uh, it's not all there, right? So we go well. Before we would go, okay, well it's not all there. I'll make do, but now we're like, well, why? You know, why would I make do? I don't make do with anything else in my life, right? Everything is custom. I my cell phone is customized. You know, I can make anything 
exactly how I wanted. I can have things delivered to my house. I can, you know, why, why not have the relationship that way too? Um, yeah. And one assumption um, that I think I previously mm-hmm. had, but I know many people have, is that men are the people, are the ones who initiate open relationships, mm-hmm. polyamory. But in fact, it's, it's equal. And a lot of women initiate For sure. open relationships. Yeah. I think <clears throat> often that is a assumption that happens, I think, because we think often open relationships, we immediately think it's about sex. Most of the time it is about sex. Right? Let's not be coy about it. Right? Yes, it is about relationships, but what the big difference is you're now opening yourself up to more sexual partners. Not always, but it's there. And then we make the next assumption that women aren't sexual. Right? That women don't want sex is like the narrative that we believe. Very untrue. That's just not that's just not true. Right? Um, and I think that's why people think, oh, women don't want sex, so they were therefore they wouldn't be the one that would initiate an open relationship. Women absolutely want sex and they like variety as much as men do. If not more. If not more, exactly. And Search for novelty. Right. Yeah. For sure, exactly. And they're feeling more secure in their lives. Um, so they are coming out there and saying, I want more. You know, I want more, I want different, I want to explore. Um, and it's not always, I, do, I want somebody else, I don't want you or, or I want somebody else, but like, let's, let's explore together. So it's not, the request isn't always, I want, to, I want an open relationship, I want to go and date other people. You know, it's like, let's do this thing together. Let's see what else is out there. Let's, you know, see if we can date somebody together, if we can date as a couple, can we go to a sex party? Can we like explore together? Can we like look at our sexuality and see what else is out there? Um, so I think it's pretty cool. And hidden polyamory or hidden open relationships are happening all the time if you want to think about like affairs right oh, like sure. this is all having relationships with multiple people where it's in the open mm-hmm. and it's being honest yeah, like your experience that what you were talking about having a lot of infidelity in your relationships right, exactly. and feeling like there was something wrong with you mm-hmm. and now just changing the label changing the structure mm-hmm. changing the communication it's a whole other right. way of thinking about it right exactly i, I didn't want to lie yeah. <laughs> you know i just didn't want to lie so i just made sure that i was in a relationship that i didn't have to lie you know and suddenly things are better you know it makes sense that there there are so many people who are interested in mm-hmm. polyamory and open relationships yeah. and interestingly when you're talking about men versus women um i read things about affairs we have this assumption Mm. that more men have affairs than women and actually it's more even and when they started looking at the statistics of affairs in different areas of the country they found that actually that women who make who have higher salaries Mm. are more likely to have affairs i mean that makes sense and and that's exactly what you were were speaking to right when you have stability when you're not so dependent on your partner right for sure exactly and i think more and more this is also in line with like the sex positive culture like sex positivity is also becoming something that's out there um women owning their sexuality like um owning being slutty um and not accepting the stigma that comes from it and i think that also helps yeah i've I've worked with a lot of clients and known a lot of people who opened up their relationship and find that jealousy becomes a really Mm -hmm. big issue Mm -hmm. or even before they open up are worried that if they do open up Mm -hmm. that jealousy will tear their relationship apart Mm -hmm. and so how how do you coach couples how do you coach individuals who are trying to really manage these feelings Mm -hmm. that so many people have such an aversion to for sure yeah jealousy is real (laughs) It's a feeling. It's a part of the human um, portfolio of feelings. And it absolutely comes up. It's, in fact, 
probably in the top three questions, if not the first question I get asked if I ever talk about polyamory with anyone. Um, and I think there are a couple of things to bear in mind. Just like any other emotion, some of us have a disposition for jealousy, right? Um, some people are happy people, some people are angry people, some people are um, you know, organized people, some people are jealous people as a disposition. And if that's you, um, there's nothing wrong with that. Normalagini might not be the right design for you, just saying it. Um, and then there's other type of jealousy, which is what I call situational jealousy, which is you're not necessarily a jealous person, but there's certain situations happen and you get this like wave of jealousy and that's just very human. Um, it's human, it's like part of the evolution, human evolution, it's like it serves a purpose, it exists for a reason. The important thing is not to make it into the green-eyed monster, right? We, we just make it into this like scary thing that is ultimately going to tear you and your relationship apart. It doesn't have to be. Just like sadness doesn't mean that you're never going to stop crying or... Um, that if you're angry, you're gonna go around punching walls. It's like, you just um, work with that emotion and try to, under first of all, let it come through and understand why it's coming up. Um, often I find people feel jealous because they feel that there's a need not being met or they feel left out or left behind, right? And it's important to figure out what's causing it. The way I always think about jealousy is, it's like an alarm bell that goes off in your house like if you imagine if a fire alarm went off in your house like it's obnoxious and loud um, most of us see these like parodies of people like trying to knock it off the wall right when it's going off and then what you would do is you'd go oh there's an alarm going off turn it off and figure out what set it off right jealousy is very similar an alarm goes off something is wrong something is wrong something is wrong Try to turn it off because like when it's going off, it's very hard to do anything, just like a fire alarm. They're loud and obnoxious. You can't think straight, right? Same with jealousy. When it's going off, you can't think straight. And there are multiple ways of, of doing that. I like the somatic method of just sitting down, breathing, um, taking like 10 deep breaths and locating the feeling in your body. Um, by the time you've been through that, the emotion has come through and you've sort of calmed down. The, the alarm is turned off and then do some thinking. Sometimes there's a very legitimate reason why it's coming up. Something is wrong. Like your partner hasn't paid attention to you for a while or you feel disconnected or, um, you know, there is, there's some being transgressions happened. Something has happened and it's just, you know, you feel jealous. Just like somebody dies and you feel sad. That's just the reaction that you have, right? If, if that is the case, you address what's going on with the person or with the situation. Or if it's an internal thing, if it's an insecurity, you address the insecurity. If it's a matter of feeling left out or left behind, you address that in a tactical way. So you make more dates, you, you set some time up for reconnection, or whatever it is, you, uh, you address the underlying cause of jealousy. Because jealousy on its own doesn't, it's just an alarm bell. It's not really telling you anything other than just alerting you to something being wrong. So I'm curious, how do you negotiate time in your relationship yeah because i imagine that like if there's less time spent mm. with a particular partner that that can activate a lot of jealousy potentially sure. situational yeah. jealousy yeah 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 um the people say the the the, the, in, the inside joke is that the hardest thing about uh, the hardest thing about polyamory is not jealousy it's scheduling um and it's because you have to manage time and often you know i say this about myself i have 
endless space for love and people in my heart. I just don't have the time in my schedule, you know. Um, and there's a couple of things that I get people to understand, like just reframing this. The problem that we have with love is that it is a feeling that exists in your internal universe. And it is, and your internal universe is boundless and endless and, and ever-growing, right? Um, and then we have this idea of you love something. We've developed this idea of like you love something more than something else, right? Because language-wise, we have a feeling, we have one word for it. We say love, right? We love ice cream, our partners, our parents, and some of us God using the same word, right? And if you look at the ancient languages, if you, get La if you look at Latin, there are different words for love, applying to different ways of you expressing your love, right? The problem is, in most of the languages, modern languages and in English, we'd use one word. So we love ice cream, parents, partner, God. I say God because there's a different, in Latin there's a different word for spiritual love, right? Um, with one word. So because we're stuck, we now start saying things like, I love something more than something else. Whereas it's just one feeling that's happening inside you. There's no quantity to it. But because the language fails us, we say we love something more than something else. And then in order to manifest that, we try to map it onto something, right? To then quantify that. I love this more than that. So the thing that, the, the quick, the thing that people map it onto is time because it's something we know how to measure. So once you map, feeling of love which isn't quantifiable to try to quantify it onto time then you're looking at how much then you're looking at how much do you love somebody through the, the amount of time you spend with them mm. and that's where it starts to fail mm. so if you can get people to understand that what you're doing is just a false mapping yeah. and that to look at the quality of the relationship and look at and, and use the language of needs and feelings and um what are, you know thriving what does that look like and move away from how many hours a week we spend with one another then you can have a much more of an accurate gauge of the health of the relationship and love that you feel and receive from from the other person if you're just mapping it onto time it's not a good gauge having said this for some people quality time is a love language right then it's like you do need those slots in your calendar where you're doing fun things but it's not a way to sort of look at your overall relationship through this map of time it's just not accurate right so this starts to, to um, answer my next question which is when you have a kind of primary partner a primary couple mm -hmm. and one partner has found someone else mm -hmm. and the other partner maybe is looking or maybe isn't looking but doesn't have anyone mm -hmm. like what kind of advice do you give for that partner who you know doesn't have anyone else mm -hmm. and is sitting at home and their primary partner is out on a date mm -hmm. and they're dealing with feelings of jealousy mm -hmm. or wishfulness mm -hmm. um and it's really hard for them mm -hmm. get a hobby <laughs> <laughs> seriously yeah get a hobby yeah um and that hobby can be self-care um, you know, work on your self-care game, you know, read some books, um, do some meditation, get a hobby. And um, also friendships are relationships. Invest in your friendships. Yeah. Um, just we think of this like relationship, romantic relationship, our partner, we get so focused um, and society does that. So we're, we are, you know, because this is one model, but invest in your friendships, you know, um, get a hobby, volunteer, do something good with that time rather than sitting around twiddling your thumb twiddling your fingers 
tapping your fingers, like feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah. You know, you, if you're gonna, if your partner's out and you have nothing to do, do something with your with that time. Mentor somebody, volunteer, pick up a hobby, focus on self care, do something productive with that time. Um, and it's like it's a gift of time. I mean, I normally think I also I like my like me time, like alone time, but I think of it as like a gift of time. You know. Um, so that would be my yeah. advice. Don't sit around focusing on your partner. Do something for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Or, or for others. Or for others. Sometimes yeah. that helps. You know, I tell people, like, volunteering and mentoring is actually, you get a lot of satisfaction out of that. And you feel, because sometimes what, what's happening is it's, it's directly affecting your self-worth. You're thinking, why don't, I have, why don't I have somebody? Why don't I get on a date? Am I not good enough? My partner, I'm not good enough for my partner. I'm not good enough for anybody else, right? Sometimes that's the spaces that you go to. And then if you then do something to work on that, and I find the best way to work on that is to do something for somebody else, you know? Um, and I think that really helps. And I imagine if you act on that feeling, that anxious feeling or that I'm not good enough feeling, you may end up going out and meeting somebody but not being in something that you actually want to be in. It's just because, okay, I have to fill this time with somebody else because my partner is with somebody else, right. but it's not fulfilling in any way. Right, exactly, exactly. This tit for tat some people do that right. I also really um, advise against. Or people will say like, well, well, they're dating, so I must date. Yeah. And they just end up dating anybody. Yeah. And it's just like, you're wasting your time. You're wasting the other person's time. You're wasting your time. Um, they, you know, if you have that time available to you, do something productive. And my, my also like side advice for that is, if you're getting the right hobby, doing things like this, you're probably going to meet people to date anyway. So like sitting at home, anxious, worrying that nobody loves you or worrying that your partner is doing something else is... Um, you're not gonna meet anybody. Use that time to actually like do some fun stuff to meet people and go to the Delancey. Go to the Delancey, exactly, <laughs> exactly. On the second Monday of the month. So you've shared a lot of wisdom with us mm -hmm. today. Um, I'm just curious if you have any final advice for people who are interested in opening up their relationship. Mm -hmm. Go slow, and. Um, just come to it from a place of curiosity, not from a place of we're doing this. Um, take each step slowly and with a curious mind um, and realize that whatever you're doing uh, doesn't have to reflect on the entire relationship. So if you want to go on a date and see what it feels like and do it in a curious way um, rather than it being a definitive thing that you're doing. Um, and then when you come home, when you're discussing things, um, look at it as an exploration, S remain curious, especially if you're feeling defensive, um, if you're feeling disconnected, um, curiosity is a really good antidote for that. Um, and master communication skills, read books, take some workshops, there are a bunch of them on YouTube, you don't even have to pay for them. Um, communication is a skill, just like any skill, there ways of learning it and their ways of mastering it and their ways of practicing it get to a ninja level communication and how can people contact you if they want to find your coaching or your oh, workshops yeah. and your podcast as well right yes, you just started yes. a podcast exactly yeah no uh, yes we've just started that from the, the beginning of this year it's very exciting so you can find me at effieblue.com e-f-f-y blue like the sky dot com um, if you're interested um, there's actually you can book a 20 minute call from me directly from my website we can have that initial conversation um, I also host a community organization called Curious Fox. Um, the website is wearecuriousfoxes.com. You can also find us on Facebook 
on Instagram um, and the podcast as well. Wherever you listen to your podcast is now there. Um, What's the podcast called? Curious Fox Curious. Podcast. Okay. Um, and the, the Curious Fox events are for people who are curious. Um, we, I put a panel together every month. We pick a topic. We explore three personal stories. You'll meet like-minded people. We say no promises, no pressure, no commitments, just curiosity. Um, just because you're turning up there doesn't mean you are taking a step towards anything other than being curious. Um, I really, if you're, if you're having those conversations with your partner or thinking about having those conversations, I really recommend you show up to one of the events. You'll find many other people in the same boat as you and you'll meet some people who've been doing it for a while and are willing to share their experiences with you. So exciting. It sounds like a great resource. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. To stay in touch with us, sign up for our quarterly newsletter at lovelink.co, where we share our favorite articles and resources about love, sex, and relationships. Also, in future episodes, we plan on answering listener questions. So if you'd like your questions featured on our show, send us a voice memo using the Anchor app or send it directly to our email, info at lovelink.co. And if you have a second, truly, the best way you can help support us is to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. Just scroll to the bottom of the Loveling show page and let us know what you think. We thank you all again so much for listening. We're truly touched you take the time out of your busy schedule for us. Until next time. <laughs>